You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bill Kinkevich, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Moon Knight, Episode 2, Shadows of the Moon, covering a period of Moon Knight from 1981 to 1982. I am your host, Curtis Finley. And I am Eric Finley, your Moon Knight host. What are we going to be talking about in today's episode? We're going to be talking about Moon Knight Volume 2, Moon Knight Issues 5 to 23. Yeah, just kind of a straight shot all the way through. There's no annuals, there's no guest appearances or two-in-one issues. Which is a huge change from the last one, which was just a hodgepodge of random appearances, plus the first yeah. four issues. Yeah, it was, it was because, yeah, there was like the three-part Defenders issue. There was a couple of two-in-one. Um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man team-up, I yeah. think, and Spectacular Spider-Man. And obviously the Werewolf by Night. Yeah, and the Hulk magazine issues. Right, like, Hulk there was, magazine. There was a ton of, uh, there's a huge variety of stuff in that one volume. And this one, I feel like it's much more of a solid volume than the last one. Way more consistent across the board. right. The, the last one was really hard to read because there were, uh, first of all, he was a brand new character and they weren't planning on doing much with him. So he wasn't really fully fleshed out or thought out. And um, the different writers and artists all sort of had their different um, takes on him. Yeah. And, yeah. Exactly. But this is way more consistent now. You can still feel at the beginning of this book that Doug Mensch is trying to kind of figure out where he wants to go with this character. But by the end, I think we have a pretty solid idea of how he treats Moon Knight. Yeah, and it even changes a little bit throughout the course of the volume. It does. And it, it settles nicely. At the, by the end of this book, we kind of have a... It's like a Moon Knight world tour where in every issue, he's in a different country of the world. Yeah. They take him out of the suburban New York setting and really have them tackle issues that are specific to different portions, different areas of the world. And what's really nice about that is that it ties into his mercenary past. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. not just he's traveling to these places for no reason. He's got contacts from when he was a mercenary and those are popping up again. And I wonder if it was an attempt to kind of remove Moon Knight from the, the Batman comparisons. Because, oh, yeah, it could be. Yeah, because, yeah, uh, almost all of the interviews that I did about Moon Knight, they, all of the people said that people consider Moon Knight to be Marvel's Batman. Which, in many ways, he is. But there are some things, if you even take a very quick look at him, that are a, a big difference. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be truly a Batman character, because that's, right. that's just not really allowed <laughs> or, or not nice it's not it's not good form to completely rip off a character but borrowing aspects is something that marvel marvel and dc has been doing for forever mm -hmm. borrowing each other's characters and such 
but yeah, there's enough difference that the character does stand on its own, and even now through this volume, even more so than in the first one, I think. Yeah, there are even some really interesting notes about that kind of a thing in、um, some of the special inserts. Right in this volume. One more stop before we get into the issues. What are the things that we need to know before getting into this book?、Um, so very quickly,、um, in case you're brand new to Moon Knight, Moon Knight is a mercenary turned hero who、uh, died in a shrine to the Egyptian god of vengeance, Khonshu,、um, but was saved by the god of vengeance. In order to help him fight crime, he invented.、Um, Oh, sorry. His name is Mark Spector. He created two other personas to help him fight crime: Stephen Grant, who's a millionaire playboy, and、um, street smart cabbie Jake Lockley. And together with Mark, Moon Knight is considered a fourth personality.、Um, he has his best friend Frenchie, who's also a mercenary or was a mercenary, and、uh, that is his pilot and best friend. And we also see again Raoul Bushman. He's another mercenary that used to work with、uh, Mark Spector, though he's much more ruthless. Yeah, Bushman enjoyed killing, and Mark did not really enjoy killing unless absolutely necessary. When Bushman and Mark Spector were in Egypt, Bushman killed Marlene's dad for pretty much no reason. And Mark disagreed with this, stopped him from killing Marlene as well, which.、Um, Caused Raoul Bushman to see Mark as a traitor, yeah, and that's what causes the big animosity between those two. That's good to know, and that's also how Marlene comes to know、uh, Mark、right. through that incident. And now she, they're a living couple, basically.、Right. The, Although the, she's the interesting thing is that very she, interesting. <laughs> Mark Spector saved her. But Stephen Grant is the personality that she's in love with, and、right. the one that she refers to him as all the time. Right.、Um, the other interesting thing is that whenever she's introduced to somebody else, it's always as his personal assistant. Yeah. And if I were her, I'd be pretty annoyed by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I wonder how much of that is because、uh, of just this is the eighties, and did we really want to have an unmarried couple living together、right. in a comic book? I mean that's something that you see no、yeah. problem today, but it's pretty clear that they're a couple. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> sharing a hot tub together, you know. Right. <laughs>、um, okay, so that's about this volume. What about this book? Do you th- did you like this volume? This the the packaging, the whole production. Yeah, I did. the The art in these issues is very dark, yeah,、um, full of shadows and shading. It's very reminiscent of the horror comics where he sort of originated.、Mm-hmm. And that makes it difficult at times to sort of interpret the the images I found,、um, especially as you get further along in the volume. Right. Yeah. But I thought it was a really good sort of homage to his origin. And、uh, yeah, it, I don't know exactly when, but that does change later on.、Um, they they always refer to him、uh, as being the hero in in silver and jet. Right. Meaning like white and black. Yeah. But even by the end of this volume, they've removed most of the black from his costume.、Um, yes, they, the the black in the costume. There's still plenty of black in、oh, the、yeah. drawings yes, because they, they use of lots、yes. of shadows. But, but the actual black in his costume is pretty much gone. Yeah, and then as that sort of becomes more evident, I think they start to, and 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 as he moves into more of the heroic role, then you see less of that heavy shadow work. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but the、uh, the the stories in 
this are good. As we've mentioned, it brings in his mercenary past, but also it's got some uh, some stories with kind of that horror twist to them, mm-hmm. which was interesting. It was an interesting mix because sometimes there's a there's there's a supernatural element in a lot of the stories, and a lot of the times it's like, is it really supernatural or is it really just kind of people playing mind games or like you're not too sure of the outcome sometimes. And then there are other ones that are straight up, yeah, this is supernatural stuff right here. <laughs> and then there's other times where it's like, uh, um, obviously this guy's trying to, this guy's pretending to be something that he's not. Yeah. So the, the Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pull off the mask. Yeah. You meddle some kids. No, but um, it's sort of that way about Mark Spector and his personalities in this book as well. There are many things that suggest that he's just using the identities as characters like an actor yeah in the first issue in this volume issue five he says i'll be lockley tonight and suggesting that he can just sort of put on the disguise and frenchy always calls him mark and gets away with it it's fine but his and bertrand always calls him lockley oh yeah what's the crawley name? crawley crawley bertram crawley yes crawley always calls him lockley Lockley, yes, yeah. Right. So, yeah, each of it's funny how each of his personalities has their own supporting cast, right? But then his butler calls him by Grant. But, well, he by, he calls him by uh, Lockley, I believe, at, at one point, and he goes, "I'm Grant now." Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Marlene always calls him Stephen, but he says, "If you really think of," uh, and and she says to him, "If you really think of yourself as separate people," indicating, well, this is a problem where he can't distinguish between different people and he responds that, oh, I have it under control. So it's it's like he does have an actual multiple personality disorder sometimes yeah. and other times it's like he has just different characters that he puts on and that is something that's kind of explored in this but it's they, they don't want to say one way or the other. Yeah, and that's of course something that they dive heavy into in more modern Moon Knight. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I wonder if um, that's partly because the writers wanted him to have multiple personalities but didn't want the stigma that might have been attached to, you know, schizophrenia or multiple personalities or any sort of mental illness from the time. Yeah. Well, if you listen to the last episode, I put in a a clip where Doug Mensch says that he, Doug Mensch said that he just absolutely didn't think of it as a multiple personality disorder of any kind it was actually playing roles but he skirts that line quite oh, a bit it's, yeah. he pushes it quite close so, yeah so we're not we're never too sure exactly what uh, what the situation is with him right and that comes into play um in the next well when we get into volume three we'll see some more of that kind of pl- coming out as well um, as ter- in terms of like the restoration on this epic collection, it's fantastic. The lines and the art are all crisp and clear, especially when you get to the later issues with Bill Sienkiewicz's more abstract abstract art. Uh, it looks absolutely fantastic. The colors are are brilliant, and the all of the zipitone looks fantastic, and everything like that. So um, this is a this is a good solid uh, collection, especially if you're a Moon Knight fan. It's worth picking up. And a lot of the covers um, are really excellent. Issue 8 was an example of one. They've got these really excellent, almost painted-like covers. Yeah. And um, they've got really fine line detail. Yeah, and the the good use of the screen tone and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and there's... But on the flip side, 
I mean, go to issue uh, 19, and it has the worst cover. that I, One of the worst covers I've ever seen. It's just terrible. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the one with the... Uh, it's a pure red background with a solid yellow picture of, of Arsenal. Arsenal. And, it's and there's, te- no, there's no detail on that it's picture. It's a terrible picture. It's supposed to be like, here's uh, all the things that, I don't know, just the specs on, on Arsenal or something like that. But it's not a great picture at all. I like the the Moon Knight yeah. is nice. The Moon Knight, though, actually kind of looks like it's been cut out from somewhere else. Right. And I have a problem with it because he's stepping on his cape. <laughs> it's like that. There's Bo- no both way. Feet. Both feet are stepping on his cape. There's no way that he would would be doing that i don't think so yeah so yeah there's good covers there's bad covers (laughs) otherwise great collection Mm -hmm. well just before we move on to the issues let's do a, a quick twitter poll here i asked this question it was a moon knight has a rogues gallery of obscure villains here are my favorites from the early days. Which one is your favorite? And my options were Morpheus, Master Sniper, Bushman, or Midnight Man. <laughs> so out of those four, who would you pick as your favorite? As much as I don't actually really like the character of Bushman, he's probably, especially sort of what they've done with him more recently, he's definitely the best villain Right. Which one do I like the most? Uh, <laughs> I guess that is a different, a different yeah. question, isn't it? I think Morpheus is kind of interesting. Okay. Um, just the, the, the weird powers that he has and, um, yeah, what he chooses to do with them. Um, I picked Morpheus as well. Bushman, you're right. As a villain, a classic sort of villain trope, Bushman is a villain. Yes. Morpheus is not as much a villain as much as he is just kind of a twisted weirdo yeah i guess and and um master sniper and who's the other one midnight uh, man midnight man they're just sort of people and they come and go um but yeah. bushman has established himself as the like the joker to his batman right he is the there's a batman <laughs> comparison right <laughs> no there he doesn't have a great rogues gallery He's built a couple over time, but he doesn't have those standout villains where everyone's like, oh, Moon Knight, that's that's a, a Moon Knight villain. Or... Right. You name uh, Superman or Flash or Spider-Man or even Iron Man. And, you know, Iron Mans are even a little more obscure, but you could probably name a couple. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, just the ones from the movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Justin Hammer is one of them, right? Right. Titanium yep. Man. Oh, yeah, of course. Any of, Crimson any Dynamo. The, any of the armored and, yeah. ones. <laughs> Even Black Widow was a villain of his in the yeah. very early days. Uh, okay, so uh, here are the results for this. Zero percent of the votes went to Midnight Man. <laughs> he is kind of a loser of a villain, right. but he's he's funny. I, I thought he, he was, was kind of good. He, it, like, if you think about a lot of the superhero movies now, how they have the main villain and they've got, you know, one or two like pre-villains like Batrock the Leaper was right. the pre-villain yeah. of uh, of uh, what is yeah, it Winter Soldier yeah Winter Soldier yeah <laughs> um, he's kind of like the Batrock the Leaper of that story yeah I guess where so <laughs> he's yes he's a villain but he's been hired by this other guy to sort of like yeah take the heat off of him or distract it yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a very a very good analogy there okay so 7% of the votes went to Master Sniper 20% went to Morpheus and 73% went to Bushman which is mm-hmm. not a surprise no. I'm pretty pretty not surprised by that had you asked me um before reading this volume i probably would have put bushman because it'd be the only name that i really recognize <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> yep totally 
Okay, let's go into the issues here. Let's start with number five. This one's called Ghost Story. This is a one-off issue. I actually really like this one a lot. Thieves, uh, what are their names? Kresh and Parkins are breaking into this house of, of their buddy Redditch. And because he's got a hidden treasure. And but it appears that the house is haunted. This was a this was a kind of a cool ghost story type one where uh, Moon Knight gets involved because he just kind of he he's actually not really involved in the story at all. He's always two steps behind everything that's happening, and eventually ends up in this house, this haunted house as well. And we sort of figure out what's going on. Like we start at the middle of the story, yeah, and we sort of figure what's going on through Moon Knight sort of tracking them down. Yeah, yeah. And- there there are a couple of like flashback uh, to a couple hours ago kind of scenes. Um, with the with the robbers, but most of it is Moon Knight sort of catching up. Apparently, the, the treasure is five hundred thousand dollars in bills belonging to Redditch's mom. Like that's a lot well, of saving bills, but, but not just that because they actually have the five hundred thousand dollars. But there was a um, locked valise. Well, like some sort of lockbox kind of thing. Yeah, and that was supposedly worth more than the entire five hundred thousand dollars he's like you can have that i've got this box and so they go well if that's more (laughs) we want the box we want the box yeah and do we find out what's in there or do we not i don't i can't remember we do it was the deed to his mom's house oh right do we want to spoil it uh sure (laughs) his mom who was thought to be dead which sparks off this whole thing right is alive. Yeah. And the she's the ghost. She, she's <laughs> the ghost. It, yeah. yeah. That's, there's your Scooby-Doo moment right there. Right. Exactly. And then the whole house burns down. Yeah. Moon Knight just got involved because of a, the bank robbery at the beginning of the issue, but he had no idea what he was getting himself into. Yeah. So, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was a good kind of a mystery story. Uh, it strung me along the entire time, not knowing what was going on. A nice good twist at the end. It's a tough start to a volume about Moon Knight because it's not really Moon Knight. Right. But it is a good story. Yeah. And it, uh, again, this one is the most sort of um, uh, horror comic of all the stories, I think. Well, until we get to like zombies and stuff. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess I should say more like the suspense type stories. Right. Did you see the one part of this story where Frenchie is telling Moon Knight to follow, or no, Moon Knight is telling Frenchie to follow the, the green Ford? Yes. And... Um, they're always, they they mention several times, green car, the police do, Moon Knight does, yeah. Frenchie does, but the car is always red. Always red. So the color, colorist was not reading the, uh, the dialogue, I guess. Well, maybe I, he was because every other car, like along the side street was green. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know the order of things. If, um, it probably, I don't know if it got colored before it went to the letterer maybe. So maybe the words weren't even on there. Maybe. But you'd think that the letterer would look at it and be like, this doesn't match up. Unless the letterer only sees the black and white work because they take, you know, the the letterer will will put the letters on with no color and then they'll send that to the printer and the printer will take the, will create a a plate for the black line. Right. Given the the color color from somewhere else. And yeah, you get the color from somewhere else. So the colorist, although the colorist, it would have to be, like the colorist would have to color around the the balloons though. So that's, the colorist would have had to have made their color choices after the words were put down. They just didn't read the words. You would think so. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so Moon Knight number six is called White Angels. 
And in this one, Moon Knight gets a, or in particular, Mark Spector gets a telegram from a friend. And so he takes his entire supporting cast. Yeah, all of them. All of them, <laughs> including Gina, the diner owner, and her kids, which is weird, like who runs the diner? Yeah. And they fly to St. Lucian and they are investigating these missing persons who might be related to some kind of voodoo kind of um, rituals. Mm-hmm. Mark goes because this fellow, his friend, uh, Joseph, saved his life back when they were all mercenaries. And he has a friend who is missing. Yes. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the case that involves the voodoo. Yeah, this was a weird issue. Um, not as good as the last one for sure. And, but it was nice to have kind of all of the people taking an active, active role, especially Gina's kids, um, to see just what they're capable of. Yes. Because we just got introduced them to them in the last volume at the very end. And really, they were just there to get information. Yeah. Like, hey, hit the streets and uh, see what you can find out. Um, but they play a very active role in this issue, getting themselves in pretty deep trouble and almost killed at right. one point. And Gene is okay with this. <laughs> as long yeah. as it doesn't interfere with their school. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, okay, so interesting note. There's one point in here where Mark says that the werewolf virus is wearing off. Right. So I thought that was very interesting, furthering itself from the previous origin that got retconned once Moon Knight had his own ongoing story. Right. Um, and so I made a note about this later on because he, he's mentioned this a couple times. His relationship with Khonshu has always been a bit of a mystery. Does he get powers from Khonshu? Does he just think he gets powers from Khonshu? Does he even have powers? Does he even have powers? Later on in the 90s, they've established, oh, he gets powers from the phases of the moon. So if it's a full moon, then he's stronger than if it's a new moon. They kind of had that established in the first volume too. I remember like the Hulk story. uh, Well, the one where there's that point of view where the Hulk is in the woods. And then the moon keeps going in and out of the the clouds. And so moon, like his power levels keeps fluctuating. But that in that case, and this is what's being referenced here is he was bitten by a werewolf. And has werewolf powers. And well, has super moon powers which are related to being a full moon yeah just strength and that kind of stuff basically and so he generally has that it's stronger when there's a full moon though and so apparently that is wearing off bringing him back down to maybe normal um one of the points i liked here is that we find out that the whole thing is an underground heroin operation (laughs) yes it's not really which which fits with the street level kind of stories that we are we've been having with moon knight but also brings in this supernatural element element because uh the the zombies in this thing are are actually people who are just kind of on cocaine or affected by the drugs right yeah and they call them zuvembis Right. So just a reminder, Zuvembi is basically a zombie. Yeah. But um, they weren't allowed to say that because of the... The comic code. The comic code, yes. However, and, they, they actually do get two zombies passed in here. They they do. So is it in this issue or the, the next it's, time? It's in six. I, I'm pretty sure that at this point, the code didn't really... Uh, they didn't care about zombies at this point. Uh, it was a big thing in the mid-70s. Because I remember the uh, there's an issue of Avengers that Jim Shooter wrote, and he had to use Zuvembi the whole time because he couldn't use the term zombie. 
He had to skirt around that. And I think that Marvel had kept on using it a little while, even after they were allowed to use zombie, because that's a term that had been established in the Marvel universe. Right. So you see that term interchangeable in this yeah. issue and in, in another one in this volume yeah. too. Page 43 is uh, where we have a couple of references to zombies. All the rest of them are Zuvembi. Yeah. At the very end of this issue, Spectre's friend Mendozi, Mendozi uh, he, he reveals that he knows that Moon Knight is Mark the entire time, which is completely counter to like every single time Spider-Man ever travels anywhere. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, Peter and Spider-Man happen to be in the same city like in but that's okay. California, and uh, no one puts two and two together. But this guy knows. Uh, he's smart. And I liked that. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. And it wasn't a big deal. Sorry, I said um, uh, Moon Knight's friend was uh, Joseph earlier, but it's uh, Joshua. Okay. Okay, moving on to number seven. This one's called The Moon Kings. And domestic terrorists have polluted Chicago's water supply, causing <laughs> people to basically turn into... Zombies. zombies. <laughs> More zombies. Yeah. Again, he's. this is the third issue and we are of this volume. This is the third issue of this volume, and we have are now in three different locations. The first one took place in New York, but like a small suburb of New York. Right. The, the other one was, I don't even know where St. Lucian is. There's a, I looked it up. There's one yeah. in Quebec, there's one in France, and there's a St. Lucia in the Caribbean, which is, makes more sense yes. to me to Yeah, be... I think it was either a typo on, on that, um, because um, according to the telegram, it looks like Joshua's last name is St. Lucien. Oh, okay. So maybe they had a typo there, or maybe they were just trying to imply that, but have it be a different place. Yeah, um, but if they're dealing with voodoo and yeah, whatever, it's make the most probably sense. a Caribbean thing. That's a, a stereotype these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, sorry. Back to number issue number and now seven. We're, now we're in Chicago. Yep. Now we're in Chicago, and we have this is a kind of a cool a cool plot. I, I like that terrorists are trying to like they are so subtle in the way they do things. Like it's it's great how the story unravels because people are just kind of going mad and no one knows why. Yeah, and right at the beginning you see these terrorists and they've got these large bottles of water yeah. and we don't know why yet, but they keep referring to their great scheme and stuff like that. Yeah. And then and then a lady on the street just starts screaming and then she bites a guy. <laughs> yeah, so the one thing I wasn't too sure about is that Marlene gets infected by the water. She drinks it before right. before Moon Knight can can warn her of it. Yeah. And it seems like she is like the most extreme case out of all of the examples that we see here. Like well, even more over the top. It's like, it's kind of a split because she's the most like raging, but she's also the most in control in the sense that she has a rationale about what she's doing and she's able to sp to speak. Yeah. The rest of them are just so uh, full of rage that they can just only, like, growl. Which, yeah, which is the whole, whole zombie thing. Um, yeah, so why why is it so different with her? No idea. Yeah, they don't although, explain that. Although, I mean, if we were to try to rationalize, it might be because she has experience with changing personalities. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, yeah, which is kind of what she is saying when she's crying out. She says... Um, I want you because you've made me just like you now. You've made me so crazy I don't know who I am. And that was part of um, the earlier part of this issue where she's saying, sometimes you don't even know who you are anymore. Hmm. Right. 
I love the sequence where Moon Knight thinks he's on the moon. Yes. At the end, at the end of this issue. Interestingly enough, and I don't know if this was intentional homage to this issue, but in a newer Moon Knight issue, there um, there is a sequence where he's sort of in his own head having these visions, and there's a part of that that takes place on the moon. Nice. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Although it could just be because he's Moon Knight, so it makes sense that there's something on the moon. Right. I thought it's kind of funny. There's a scene where there's like an average family... And the little daughter says to the mom, when is the orange juice ready? And she says, as soon as I mix in the water, which is orange juice from concentrate in a can, right? (laughs) You know, you open the frozen stuff and you put it in and you add the water. Unless she just (laughs) wants to dilute her actual oranges that she's been squeezing. No, no, no. I thought about that, but there's actually a picture of her filling the can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) Right. Um, In this issue, we also see the end of the, I don't know what they call it, moon copter. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, it was an interesting design where the whole thing is round, like the whole thing is a circle, but the actual copter part is a crescent and the blades are on the back filling out the rest. It's a ridiculous design. Yeah, I don't know that that would fly. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> um, but it did. And the replacement for it is no less ridiculous. <laughs> but at least it, it's more grounded in like sci-fi, I think, or something. Or like it, it seems like it fits more in a superhero world than the yeah. first copter did. It looks more like like a B-wing from Star Wars. Yeah. The last thing about number seven is toward the end of this issue, we're introduced to, or rather the public of Chicago is introduced to the main terrorist who reveals his big plan and he's, they're all wearing these classic monster masks. And his is the werewolf mask. Ah. And he calls them the children of the night. Um, we are all werewolves who must worship the moon, blah, blah, blah. And they all start howling and listening to what he says. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why does this drug recognize, make them recognize that he is their leader and no one else? They, they're not listening to anything anybody else says. Yeah. But as soon as he says it, oh, that's the guy that we're supposed to listen to. Right, yeah, yeah. And why does he play up this whole moon cult thing? Why can't he just say, we're just going to take over and poison everybody if you don't give us money? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is it is strange. It kind of falls apart there at the end Yeah. in that sense. Uh, this is a two-parter though, so yes. it stretches over to the next issue. Yep, so the um, issue eight is called Night of the Wolves. And we start off with Moon Knight being beaten up by the Moon Kings. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> which are uh, the uh, the alien beings he's seeing in his hallucination right. after he gets drugged. Uh, we have a bit of a recap um, of the last issue. And then Moon Knight sort of pulls out of it and starts to pull together a plan. There are a lot of flashbacks in this issue um, of, of just what was going on. But Moon Knight is the whole time trying to get back to Marlene because he tried to warn her not to drink the water and the phone lines were cut and so he doesn't know if his message got through. So he's really worried. I love the, the on the second page of the story, the little, the final panel where the no smoking sign turns into moon kings. Right. <laughs> that, that happened in the last issue as well. This was a little, little recap of that. But yeah. It was, yeah, that was kind of funny. Very funny. But then Moon Knight... 
and Crawley find the secret hideout of these guys, beat them all up, and then manage to track down the uh, head werewolf to where he was going to poison the water supply. And they manage to stop the leaking barrel from rolling into the reservoir, even though it's leaking. (laughs) Yeah, but apparently nothing gets in there and everybody's fine. They really downplay at the end of this issue the amount of damage and death yes it's it's actually incredibly staggering the amount of damage and how many people got injured or died in this issue yeah the um half the army that uh that came in to help help keep control had had some water and so now there are all sorts or the sorry the national guard yeah so they were going nuts as well and they have and they're heavily armed guns <laughs> and yep. grenades and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. It's it's uh they really didn't want to talk about that part. No. <laughs> so in this issue I found that it was another instance of Moon Knight kind of being in the book but not really being in the book. It's it's all a race against time because he has to deal with Marlene, but the rest of the city is going on as it does, and Moon Knight only just steps in there kind of at the very end to kind of deal the final blow and that's about it. Yeah. There's a lot more um with Crawley doing some investigating, but also just a lot of this is what happens next. You know, the vil- yeah. this is what ha- the story progresses. Moon Knight is trying to wake his way back to the hotel, but the story progresses. One final question I have for this issue is: Do people not question the fact that Stephen Grant is pulling Moon Knight's chopper out of the river? Right. I, I thought that was weird. Too. What's the connection to Moon Knight? Like, why is he doing that? Like, we're pulling this this giant helicopter thing, which is not a normal helicopter by any means. We're pulling it out of the water and that's just the normal everyday thing. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. And also like he's standing on the shore with Frenchie and Marlene and Crawley. It's like all of the people that Moon Knight associates with. And Frenchie's wearing his pilot's cap with the crescent on it. Yeah. <laughs> but they can't, they don't know that... Uh, I guess Moon Knight, yeah, Moon Knight, I guess, associates with Stephen Grant. So maybe they just think that it's they're the all Batman Bruce Wayne thing. It oh, is. Yeah. It really is. Or Iron Man and Tony Stark. Yeah. Okay, moving on to issue number nine Vengeance in Reprise. Bushman has escaped from jail, but is it he who broke into Grant's mansion and kidnapped Samuels? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. It's Midnight, Midnight Man. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, this is the Midnight Man issue, which I found, I like this, I thought he was a, he was an amusing villain and not really yeah. that much of a threat or anything like that, but kind of fun. Interesting to note that this entire issue is told in four panels stacked on top of each other. Each page has exactly the same layout. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I thought it was really cool because I like it when the artists place restrictions on themselves like this. Like he had, Bill Sienkiewicz decided to tell the entire story in widescreen panels. The only time it breaks from that is during the fight with Midnight Man. Uh, there's there's one where he had to do one really long vertical panel and there's another page where uh, it's... It's two three by threes. And that one was done for a very specific reason. Yes, I really liked the first of those, where it's sort of an overhead shot, yeah. and um, Midnight Man is in the middle, 
and then you see Moon Knight sort of dancing around him all around the uh, the periphery. Yeah, yeah. To show to show the movement, but also the panels denote then the passage of time it takes for Moon Knight to travel around in a circle like right. that. So it's a very cool visual. And the rest of it being all these widescreen panels is really, really cool as well. Mm-hmm. It gives it such a, a nice cinematic look to the, to the story. Yeah. It also makes it easier to, um, uh, to read the flow of the story. There are a couple of um, examples in the later issues in this volume where they do some non-standard layouts. Yeah. Like inset pictures and different types of um, panel layouts and it's hard to figure out where to go next it's, yeah sometimes that that does happen but that's Bill Sienkiewicz is still young uh, like a, like learning the, the craft and at that point he's like coming into his own in terms of his artistic style so he's experimenting a lot and he finds out what does and doesn't work and by the time he gets over to New Mutants boy he's got everything oh, down yeah. pat but uh, go to page 99 Mm-hmm. It's the second page in the story here. I found that there was kind of an odd text placement because if you look at the second panel here, uh, what do you read first? What would you read first? You'd read the narration, the, the in, the narration panel, in the top left. But then would you go down to the speech bubble? I did. And then I it didn't make sense. Right. So I went over to the other speech bubble and then it made sense. Yeah. So... The way the letterist or, or the letterer has laid this out is that, or maybe I don't know if Doug or Bill had a, a sense of where they wanted the, the balloons placed, but you read all the things along the top first, and then you read all the things along the bottom first. But right. that's not how I usually read comics. Right. It's it makes sense because that's how we read everything else. Yeah. You know, one yeah. row at a time. But if you're looking at a panel of art that stretches wide you would probably look at the entire left first and then move over to the entire right. It it actually depends on what the artwork is. Well, yes. Because right now, Moon Knight is acting as a panel division. Yes. So you should read all of the stuff that's on the left first and then all the stuff that's on the right. I think that they've mixed it up here. But then they do the same thing on the, the panel below it. I would read the panel that's attached to the left-hand side first but you actually have to read the one that's at the top of the right first. Top right, bottom left, bottom right. Yeah, yeah. So it's just an uh, it's just an odd odd balloon arrangement that I, I had to. It, it made me stumble over the panels. And then if you go to page one hundred eight, I found this to be an odd text transition from one page to the next. So if you go down to the very bottom, Lockley says, "Good going, Jake Lockley. You just found." And then he goes to the Next panel, precisely what Moon Knight's been looking for. Did Jake Lockley, like, change in an instant into Moon Knight between panels there? Or did he stop his thought, (laughs) get dressed, and then continue his thought as he's jumping into the hole there? He jumped down a manhole, which is kind of like Adam West going down the bat pole. Right. Right? So, (laughs) So I mean, maybe he did change. I guess so, yeah. It was was just instantaneous. (laughs) Um, the other one I thought was weird on that page is at the top, Frenchie goes, was that Mark? And Marlene rep- uh, replies, yes, but calling as Jake. But her speech bubble is uh, overlapping with the panel above. Right, which means you should read that first. Which means you should read it first. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. <clears throat> this issue is also the one where we start to see uh, Moon Knight 
question his abilities. Um, and this will have some effects, uh, lasting effects through the rest of this volume. Right. Early in this issue, they're talking about did Mark Spector actually die and was brought back by the um, by Khonshu, or maybe he just almost died but didn't? And is there actually this god who's giving him abilities and this mission? And they're talking about the statue of Khonshu that is in his house. Right. Because Bushman is behind all this and knows that uh, Moon Knight is Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant, he has the Midnight Man steal the statue. And throughout the battle in this one toward the end, it actually gets destroyed. And that really has an impact on on uh, on Moon Knight. He starts to lose his confidence now that the thing that he thought represented the god giving him his powers uh, was was destroyed. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because it's really just all in his head then. Does he actually have powers? And the statue, when it was destroyed, was it took away things from him? Or is it just like, it's just a, a an icon that he used to... Like, I, I wonder if all of the bats in Batman's Batcave got killed, then would Batman lose his confidence right. too? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this continues into issue number 10 which is titled Too Many Midnights. And we uh, end off the the battle with Midnight Man very, very quickly on. Marlene and Frenchie manage to track Moon Knight into the sewers, but don't actually find him. They just find his cowl, and they don't know if he's alive or dead. Through the yeah. rest of this issue, most of the rest of this issue, Mark Spector is going through this sort of identity crisis where he doesn't know what his purpose is anymore because the statue has been destroyed and all of his friends are out looking for him and then right at the very end he encounters Bushman with a renewed sense of confidence and manages to defeat him yeah there's a recounted origin in here for those of you who didn't read the first volume so that's kind of nice I really liked this retelling of the origin because yeah. it was from Bushman's perspective. Right. And this, even though this is only his second appearance, this story over the last issue in this one is his second appearance, he's already solidly establishing himself as Moon Knight's main nemesis. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, they, they've laid the groundwork for this long history that uh, is really important. And I like that. Now, it, just like the last issue, this issue, every single page is also told in four panels, except they are quartered panels instead of stacked panels. Yeah, they, like they quarter the page, but every page is only four panels. Right. Uh, except, again, for one... Uh, page 130, where it's two wide at the top. Yep. And two quarters at the bottom. And another instance where... They quarter the quarter. Where, yeah, they quarter the quarter, and there's one where it's just like there's a half a page that the two panels have fused into one. But still, he uses he still uses the same technique that he used in the other one. So I was, it was interesting. It's just a, a, a neat way to see Bill, I think, trying to try new things or maybe keep himself um, on his toes right. or keep himself um, entertained, I guess, maybe a little bit. It's like, oh, I'm going to... Every panel is going to be four panels, and I'm going to see how I can do this. What it does is it gives this issue a much more claustrophobic feel, um, because all of the characters now 
are all smushed together in the panels because you can't spread them out because it's not widescreen anymore. When, yeah, when you have the four when you have the four wide panels, you can spread them out across the panel. You can space panel. them out. But now because we have to shove them, we get a lot more close-ups and that kind of thing, which I think works with the whole existential crisis that Moon Knight right. is going through because now he's battling with his own personalities and doesn't know what he is or who he is anymore. And so we get that feeling of kind of being crowded at the same time. But, it's a subtle visual yeah. thing that, right. that you don't even know that is really going on. But the other part that's kind of neat about that um, claustrophobic feel of these panels is that it allows uh, Bill to do a lot of uh, depth depth type motion there are panels where Stephen is standing in the front of like right. in the front of the panel and he's mm -hmm. reaching back or Moon yeah. Knight is diving towards something or or the car um, the car chase scene has right. a lot of kind of moving toward or away yeah yeah that's true yeah you do get a lot more of that instead of panning right images so when um, when Moon Knight's going through his crisis he he rescued the head of the Khonshu statue from the sewers and he's holding it and reciting Shakespeare to it, or <laughs> modified Shakespeare. Yeah. And while he's away doing this, it says that the uh, some newspapers are crying, where is Moon Knight? And the Silver Avenger is feared dead. And I'm thinking, it's odd that any New York newspaper would ask if a single hero had vanished. Because there are <laughs> so many other heroes in New York. Like, would you really notice if Moon Knight had disappeared if you have daredevil and spider-man and the fantastic four and the avengers and the x-men yeah. well and how many <laughs> how often do these heroes just disappear right anyway for yeah. periods of time like they, that happens all the time like must have been a slow news on day. seeing them yeah <laughs> man i haven't seen this guy f since november the 16th <laughs> he must be he must be dead or missing <laughs> i thought that was very strange yeah and Moon Knight's just not a... I don't consider him to be a hugely public figure as well. No. He spends most of his time as his other personalities gaining the information and then only goes into Moon Knight to actually catch the bad guy. Yeah. Issue number 11 is called To Catch a Killer. And I, this might be my favorite issue of the book. Um, a woman from Frenchie's past shows up at the mansion but ends up dead a few days later in the hunt for the killer leads to New Orleans. And Frenchie, we get Frenchie's backstory in this issue. Yeah. We get his history and it's great. And, uh, and boy, oh boy, I'm like, he's a fantastic character and he really has, hasn't shown anything in, in like all of volume one. Um, he's only been the side character until this issue here. So I was really glad to see him step into the spotlight. Yeah. And um, I think he starts to take a bigger uh, more front role, um, not just from this point in the rest of this volume, but later on in other volumes, um, as we get into the 90s, I think he takes a little more of a front role. There was one thing that I thought was kind of weird. Okay. That is, after we find out that Frenchie's friend has died, Lockley's talking to Crawley and gets some information that uh, the guy in charge of uh, the hit, uh, or the guy who, who performed the hit, uh, is named Cajun Creed, and his home turf is the French Quarter of New Orleans. And Lockley goes, Creole then, I may have had the guy on the pier, I may have had him in my grasp and let him escape. Except there's nothing in that battle at the beginning of this issue that indicates that he is Creole. 
Okay. Except maybe, you know, to him, the way he talked, if there was an accent, but we don't get that from the, uh, from the text at all. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, we have a really great image on page 156. And it's this picture of this New Orleans band, I guess maybe a Dixieland band or something yeah, like well, that. Yeah, we're in the middle of Mardi Gras. Yeah. So it's a part of a parade or something probably. But you can really start to see Bill Sienkiewicz working on his own style. Just the way he inks, especially the light coming through the trees and stuff. So he was on Fantastic Four. He was doing double duty at this time, uh, doing pencils for Moon Knight and then also doing layouts for Fantastic Four. And he had just wrapped up his time there. John Byrne just started. And so he and Doug Mensch were off of that title. And so Bill can now spend a whole lot more time uh, at doing this. And you can start to see from this point on, his artwork starts to evolve. And in fact, I think I have a clip to play from a Bill Sienkiewicz interview. It might be exactly what I just told you, yeah. <laughs> but I'll and play it anyway. When I, when I finally stopped working on Moon uh, on BFF and just concentrated on Moon Knight, that was when I really, you know, wanted to do all my own inking. And that's when it kind of the last I don't know ten issues, each issue from issue to issue, sort of uh, blew up in terms of, of you know really really wanting to stretch things because at that because by that point I'd gotten so much of the uh, Neil Adams clone you know, negativity or like, you know, uh, that it really forced me to kind of decide whether I was going to continue doing comics. I mean, I've always loved doing comics, but growing up on the, on the farm and being, you know, finding out about Neil's work and really loving it, it was, it was like, I'm, I want to be as good as this guy. I mean, so, you know, and there are plenty of Neil clones out there. So I really sort of just dove into it like obsessively. I mean, I studied anatomy and, you know, my mother had a bunch of medical journals, you know, she didn't, so that was like the closest I had to, you know, actual anatomy books were, were actually, you know, finding out where the muscles insert into the, you know, into the, uh, the ligaments and the bones and stuff right next to all of these horrible diseases. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was a kind of a mixed bag, but, you know, there were no other fans and no other, kids that I really knew who read, who read comics. I was kind of the only one. It was sort of my, my thing, even though I did comics in, in school for my classmates, you know, they were like, I would do weekly installments of certain, you know, you know, characters. And I can't, I can barely remember what they were, but, uh, but they were always, they'd always end up with a cliffhanger, you know? So I had like my fans and my readers in, in like second and third grade, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but the idea of, quote, finding my own style, you know, what you tell people, you know, what I came to realize was that, you know, what I thought, what, what became the art that was uh, an influence for me that actually sort of saved my life, uh, you know, growing up. I think mostly it's not unusual for kids and people who get into comics to sort of have a, you know, classic, you know, sort of horrible home life or, you know, something that they escape from and into the world of comics. So my, I was no different in that regard. So what happened was, is that I think I just got so fed up and I realized that there were, my sketchbooks were full of, of paintings and fashion type drawings and, and it was more, much more illustrative kinds of work. And I, you know, I really wanted to bring that into comics and my wife at the time, uh, you know, and other people at, at Marvel were like, no, you can't, you can't do that. You know, that's not how it's done. I just, I thought, well, I either have to do it 
or I'm going to get out. You know, it's like I just I just need to tell comics, you know, my way, which which really came down to being much more uh, about how things felt uh, than how things looked. Uh, I would almost like forced myself to kind of I've been running doing Neil stuff, you know, kind of almost like on training wheels. Um, and what I ended up doing was sort of just kicked off the training wheels and, and fell over a lot doing my own thing. That makes a lot of sense because um, from this point is where the art starts to get a lot more dark and shaded. Yeah. In yep. some of the earlier ones, um, some of the panels, particularly if you look at page 132 in the uh, in the last issue, there are a couple of overhead shots of like warehouses and streets and it's very plain. Very plain, yep. Um, but yeah, starting from here, we get some real detail coming in. Uh, one thing that I wanted to point out is on 163, Creed says, uh, she almost nailed my Manhattan connection too. She nailed me, nailed me good. And today's <laughs> today's terminology, that's a very different thing. But in this case, uh, nailed means to bring down or to expose. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Oh, another example of Bill kind of coming into his own. If you go to page 159, the bottom panel with Moon Knight, the extreme uh, perspective on his yeah. arm there. <laughs> yeah, he starts to play with a lot of that kind of stuff a lot uh, moving forward here too. You know, that's a very dangerous type of thing to do having just come off of Fantastic Four because... Um, now he looks like Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> now he looks like Mr. Fantastic. His arm is really stretching. Right. In, and you could do that and not even think it's weird because you've been doing that for the last however many months. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next is uh, issue 12. You want to take it? Yes. Moon Knight, issue 12, The Nightmare of Morpheus. We are introduced right at the beginning to this character named Peter. And Peter is Marlene's brother. He is a doctor. And we find that he has um, a patient who had a very rare genetic condition, um, was given a very experimental drug, which deformed him and also uh, gave him some mysterious dark powers, which they call Ebon Energies. Yeah, so this is the origin story of, of the Morpheus character. And uh, he's he's a really kind of a neat character. Because he doesn't really have, like, it's not a mask. His DNA has actually been altered right. or mutated. So he looks kind of scary. He looks like um, the bottom half of his face. We got some, a really great picture of him right on the first page. Yeah. And first of all, I wonder how they actually got his picture. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but Telephoto bottom, lens. Right. The bottom half looks very vampire-ish. But the top half of his face looks a lot like uh, Man-Thing. Right, with a huge brow. With a huge brow. And the, the bulbous the, eyes. Uh, the, the nose that turns into his eyebrows and the very, like, glassy red eyes. Yeah. Well, in this case, they're black. He has a... He, Morpheus has an interesting power set. They call it Ebon en Energy. Yep. Ebon Energy, it kind of it does whatever the writer needs it to do. Yeah. Kind of. It's a plot device, really. So sometimes it gives him strength. Sometimes it's energy blasts. Sometimes he can control it like tendrils or something like that. And sometimes it's a, a negative energy aura. Yeah, it's kind of like the Green Lantern green energy where the user can sort of shape it to their will um, however they need it to. 
without actually having that as the explanation. Right. I thought it's very interesting because um, that they that they haven't changed uh, Morpheus's um, source of powers. I think recently, because there's so many other characters who have been retroactively awarded what they now call dark force powers: cloak, dark star, doorman, the spot, vanisher, um, and I think is Devil Slayer one of them. Uh, yeah, I think so, and. Um, the Silo- shroud, Silo- shroud, yeah, silhouette, maybe, maybe. I can't okay. remember exactly, but um, yeah, I guess Morpheus would fit in there. Those, yeah. those have all tied to the Dark Force, mm-hmm. and this is a character that seems like his powers would really fit into that. I mean, Cloak got his powers from from experimental drugs, but caused him to have a connection to the Dark Force. That's so that could here. be here, yep. but. They haven't done that, and Morpheus has appeared in the newer Moon Knight issues, very small role, uh, but it seems like the kind of thing where they would have retroactively adjusted that. Yeah. Well, maybe they will. Maybe. Maybe someone at Marvel's listening to this right now, and they're like, that's a great idea. We'll bring him back. (laughs) I'm going to do that right now. Also, the other place that Morpheus is showing up right now is um, as part of the current Infinity Wars story. Okay. In that story, the entire universe is, instead of half the universe is wiped out, the entire universe is folded in half such that every two people are like merged into one. And so we get characters like uh, Weapon Hex, who is X-23 and Scarlet Witch put together. Right. And one of the... Many and Doctor Strange and Doctor and, Cap- and, 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 and Captain America, America, right into the Soldier, Soldier Supreme. Supreme. Yep, and Thor and Iron Man into Iron Hammer. It's because everyone loved Amalgam and has been always asking, "Can't we do Amalgam, the Amalgam <laughs> universe again?" And like Marvel's like, "Okay, we'll do it, but we can't do it with DC, so we'll just right. do it ourselves." <laughs> so anyway, uh, these are called Infinity Warps stories. Yeah, and one of them is Arachnite. It's Moon Knight and Spider Man. Cool. And so we have a character in there, which is Michael Morpheus. Ah, nice. That's awesome. What a great combination. Yeah, it's such a great combination. (laughs) I'm going to have to read that. I think I just saw those pop up on Marvel Unlimited, so I'll check those out. Yeah. Moving along to Daredevil. I almost said Daredevil. (laughs) Moon Knight number 13, the cream of the jest. Okay. For our first guest star appearance in Moon Knight's regular series... Daredevil. That's right. Which I think is a good fitting because they're two street level characters. Like you're not going to pair Moon Knight up with the X-Men and go off into space. Although he joins <laughs> West Coast Avengers and kind of does that. So maybe that's... Well, and yeah. Ant-Man just recently joined the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and went into space. That's yeah, kind but of he's an been an fit. Avenger. <laughs> he's, a, he's an Avenger. Well, which, which Ant-Man is it? Um, Scott Lang. Okay, maybe that's not as... Yeah. Well, but he was on the Fantastic Four... Sort of. Yeah. He never really went on any other missions. He just kind of stayed around the Four well, Freedoms he, but then Plaza. He was, but then when um, the Fantastic Four went on their family trip to other dimensions. Oh, yeah, that's right. With Medusa, with Medusa and Medusa, Yeah. And, yeah. and right. uh, the pop star in the Thing costume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a um, weird and, team. you know, they did go to some weird places there. Anyway. I guess in, in, that's a <clears throat> digression. But you're right. Um, Daredevil fits really well, especially because he has his billy clubs. Right, which is essentially the same, same as, thing as Moon Knight's truncheons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Moon Knight, actually a couple issues ago, for the very first time, referred to the ability to change his truncheons into nunchucks. Right. 
And that was done in order to help differentiate Moon Knight from Daredevil even more. (laughs) Because Moon Knight and Daredevil both throw these and they bounce off of things and hit people in the head. They both have some sort of grapple hook type mechanism on them so they can uh, fire it uh, with a rope and then swing on it. So he needed something that was different. But only one of them has silver moon-shaped dart blade things that he That's throws. Right. <laughs> but Batman has that kind of thing too. Yes. <laughs> but Batman doesn't have nunchucks. Oh, okay. So this Moon Knight's really different from Batman He's and so Daredevil. Different. Yeah. Oh, so different. So in this one, a, a Moon Knight villain and a Daredevil villain share a, a jail cell. <laughs> and then they get released on the same day. No, not the um, same day. Four days apart. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. But the daredevil villain, the jester, he wants to get his revenge on somebody. But the opportunity to do that is only going to be hours after he's released. So and he doesn't so have enough time to set it up. He doesn't have time up. to prepare. Yeah. So he gets Moon Knight's enemy to do it for him. Yeah. Yeah, this was a fun issue. Except for the fact that he was the villain, Taggart, was just taken down way too easy and was not really a threat. Right. And he never was. He's just like a thug. Yeah. But we have the typical yeah. team-up misunderstanding where the villain, the heroes have to fight yep. initially. And, and then they realize that it's they It's only a misunderstanding on, the on one end, really. Right. Uh, Moon Knight is going, oh, well, if Daredevil takes him in now, I, I won't find my guy. Um, but then we also have sort of the Daredevil trope of, I just happen to be in this really loud area and it's messing up with my radar sense. Yeah, that's. I think that's something that has to happen with Daredevil being in somebody else's book because readers of Moon Knight aren't necessarily familiar with Daredevil. Yeah. So that kind of shows... It's a good example of how his powers work that you can do in like one panel. Yeah. I was a little disappointed in the stop of their fight. They're fighting in this arcade and then the bystanders go, look out. Hey, guys, come on. Get out of here. Stop ruining our stuff. And they go, oh, oh, yeah. We should probably go after the bad guys. (laughs) And now this is not like Martha level bad. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) But it's it's pretty bad. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're buddies. We need to team up because we don't know where they went. A little contrived there, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I have a clip talking about um, Doug Mensch bringing Daredevil as a guest star into this issue, so I'll play it here now. Okay. There was one guest star in your run on there. It was Daredevil. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't figure because it was like... <laughs> that was actually a request by a guy I love dearly, uh, Archie Goodwin. Yeah. Um, I thought he was the best editor I ever worked with. And at various times, my favorite comic book writer uh, i thought he was just great and a super nice guy i mean my god right i had him and his family out to the house for weekends and we had great times i took his whole family tubing on the delaware river for pete's sake oh wow that's wow that's awesome yeah so moon knight and daredevil go after the jester and the jester is kind of like toy man yeah where he has all sorts of robots and uh, remote control things that explode and shoot and do all these things. Um, He's got exploding popcorn. Always fun. Always fun. 
And it's funny because Daredevil goes, oh, you're not going to get me with your knockout gas because I'm wearing nose filters. It's like, <laughs> okay, but what about the stuff you're breathing? <laughs> yeah. It's not how gas works. Um, and then as Moon Knight is um, fighting one of the robots, he calls it Robbie, which I think is probably a reference to Robbie the robot oh, for from sure. Forbidden Planet. Yeah, I would imagine so. The end of this issue is really kind of concerning to me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because uh, Moon Knight goes uh, to Daredevil, instead of actually like taking him down here, let him run up to the roof. His plans to get away by helicopter, don't worry about it. And so Jester runs up to the uh, roof. He goes, it's so dark, I can't see, but I can hear the helicopter. Which is weird because, first of all, it's supposed, it's supposed to, be a, to be a silent it's supposed helicopter. To be a silent helicopter. Also, it's like bright white. He so, told Frenchie, he called Frenchie ahead of time, said, hey, Frenchie, paint the bottom of the helicopter black, please. And then also flip the switch that makes it uh, able to hear the sound. <laughs> right. And then, then <laughs> oh, we're yeah. all set to go. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Forgot about that part. And <laughs> so, so, he, so he jumps on the helicopter and goes, see you, suckers. And then Moon Knight explains that's actually Frenchie. And then it drops him with the police. Yeah. But here's the thing that, that concerns me is... Jester thinks it's Taggart in the helicopter and thinks that Taggart has betrayed him. And he goes, betrayal, humiliation, I'll I'll get you, I'll kill you, about Taggart. And then the last panel is Moon Knight and Daredevil looking at each other, <laughs> laughing it off. Yeah, right. And it's like, well, when this guy eventually gets out of jail, he's going to go after Taggart and try to kill him. Are you going to be there to stop him? Yeah. Are you even going to think big, about that? It's just a big joke. It's a yeah. very sitcom ending. <laughs> it is. It's like an episode of DuckTales or something. Funny. Issue number 14, Stained Glass Scarlet. We're introduced to this uh, mysterious woman who lives alone um, in a church. And she is concerned about Joe Mad Dog Fascinera. And... Joe goes on this, uh, gets out of jail and goes on this uh, big, long robbery spree. Moon Knight is chasing him and meets up with this woman. And through listening to her story, uh, finds out more about Joe. I liked this uh, this story a lot. Mm -hmm. This is probably the second most sort of suspense horror kind of style story in this volume. It's another one that doesn't really focus on Moon Knight. He's sort of there to help move the story along, but it's not about him. I, I kind of wonder if this one is a fill-in issue. I'm not exactly sure what the story is here, but the the caption say in the next t next issue from the last issue mm -hmm. says that it's going to be about the ruling the world from the basement. Yeah, but that's not this issue. That's that's issue 15. So this issue came in after. The uh, the previous issue had gone to the printer. Oh, I didn't notice that. And this one also says that the next issue is ruling the world from the basement. Yeah. Which it is. Which is correct, yes. So it was stuck in there. But I mean, it's not a fill-in issue in the sense that, that you know, the true fill-in issue, because it's, it's the same writer and the same artist. Right. So they had time to do their thing. Um, although Bill is working... Oh, no, yeah, Bill Bill even inked this one, so it's not like he had to rush it or anything like that. Although his art isn't nearly as detailed and 
um, experimental as it had been in the previous couple of issues. Or so, is in the next one. Or is in the next one. So I think maybe he did have to kind of work through this one quicker than the rest of them. So did you see the John Lennon reference in here? I did notice that. So this this issue is dated December 1981, and those yep. were normally dated a couple months after the actual release, right? Yeah. And so it came out probably October, and which means it's probably written just shortly after he was killed in December 1980. Right. Yep. It was new news at that time. Yeah. So this was, yeah, um, this was like a, a Batman kind of a story, I, I yeah. felt. Very Batman-ish. Which, you know, Doug Mensch spent a lot of time writing Batman. You see the, you see the comparisons there for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. But Moon Knight, totally different from Batman. Very different. Uh, I, I just wonder how this woman has lived alone without, with barely going outside in this church for yeah. three years with no money. Yeah. She was a nun mm-hmm. and an actress and the wife of a, uh, of a criminal who as far as I know, didn't leave her anything. And somehow she's been living for three years with no money. And no food and yep. no no anything. And then she wears this really long, elegant dress and climbs the ladder every night to go up to the <laughs> attic. And I'm like, how does she do that? Yeah. Um, there's also a, a one part where they call Grant Mansion Grace Mansion by accident. Oh, oops. Didn't yep. notice that. It is on page 214. So we're switching the scene from uh, from the church to Marlene and uh, Stephen Grant, and it says several miles away stands Grace Mansion. Ah, so yeah, this was definitely a highlight. I- even if it's a fill-in issue, it's a pretty darn good issue for a fill-in issue. It was good. Yeah, yeah. Now I wonder. Uh, maybe I have a theory about why this one is inserted here, I, because we're going to see in issue fifteen here, the next issue. Uh, there's a change. Right. The The price of the comic goes up to 75 cents, and the pages get extended to 32 pages with no ads. Uh, this was a direct market book. So actually, the book has never had ads. Mm-hmm. It's always been a little bit more expensive than usual, but they upped the page count. So I wonder if this story was just a longer story, and they realize, oh, man, we can't fit it all into the standard pages, but we're going to be upping the page count so let's just save it for the next issue. Marv, the Marvel Office's editorial said, hey, we can't actually go to 32 pages until next month, so you need to do a shorter story for this month. Right. Yeah, that would make sense. If if it were up to the writers, well, then they could maybe split into two, but then the following month would have to be 32 pages. Right. And you wouldn't be able to have just the second half of the story. You'd yeah. have to have something else as well. Yeah. So this one's called... Ruling the world from his basement, and a white supremacist is planting, er, sorry, is planning an assassination of a political figure. Moon Knight is accused of being the assassin by a new cop. Uh, what's his name? Sergeant Gwen. Gwen. Oh, sorry, accused by Gwen, yes. Sergeant Gwen. This is a story for our time. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's so, yeah, so great. This was another really, really good story. So the the assassin, the white supremacist, his message is essentially make America great again. Yeah. Um, his views on immigrants are very similar to the views that are coming up now, including that this is not a racist point of view. He says to himself, but I'm not a racist. Yeah. 
but clearly he does have racist views against anybody who is not not an American citizen or Caucasian or a Caucasian. Yeah, yeah. I did find it weird that on page two thirty nine, the uh, Moon Knight saves this woman from a tree branches falling, and they make a point of stating that she's an Indian woman. And I wonder if that's just to tie into the racist elements of this story or or something. Yeah, I wonder if that's just to make us th- make us r- realize that Moon Knight's definitely not not on the same page as the the antagonist. Right. Which won't be revealed until later because we don't know that it's a uh, white supremacist until later on. Yeah, but that's okay because if we know at the beginning of the story that Moon Knight doesn't discriminate against anybody who he saves, right? then when we get to the point of knowing about the white supremacist, we already have that context of where Moon Knight stands right. um, in our mind because we just read it. Yeah. One thing I think is important to note is that on page 244... Often what happens with the narration um, in the uh, in the text boxes is that it's telling us facts about the story. But these ones aren't exactly telling us facts about the story. It's kind of third-person narration of another character's thoughts. In this case, yeah. Xenos. I really like this. Yeah, and I, this, is, this is really common in... Um, uh, suspense and film noir. I was going to say um, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, exactly. And so... Um, as far as I know, it goes back to old time radio from like the yeah. 30s and 40s, um, in particular, uh, The Whistler. But The Twilight Zone was also one of those radio programs and then eventually went on to TV. And they did that quite a bit as well. So, yeah, those are definitely um, the thoughts of Xenos, the mentality of Xenos, as told from a third person narr- narrative narration. Now, Doug Mensch does this a lot in his writing in general. If you read old Daredevil, uh, sorry, if you read old Iron Fist, like the original Iron Fist comics that Doug Mensch writes, he does this kind of thing, but it's in second person. It's very interesting. So it's like, oh. you are Moon Knight. You feel like this. Mm-hmm. You are going to go out and do, that. you know, that kind of thing. It's a, And it's the same type of narration, except a different person. Right. At the end of this issue, there's a, uh, just a, like a three-page bonus feature talking about Moon Knight and written by Doug, talking about Moon Knight and his different personalities and the weapons and all that kind of stuff. And also the origin of the character going through the last volume um, and all the different um, special appearances that he made. Yep, and it's a pretty good summary of the character if you care to read all that text. Oh, one thing I really liked about the the, the story is that at, at one point, he wonders if his other personalities are taking over his subconscious. Right. He has a really splitting headache, and then he wonders if maybe that's a blackout. And he thinks that maybe he's blacking out, and then one of his other personalities takes over and goes out and commits crime, because this cop is accusing him of committing crimes. Um, I mean, this is a story that, you know, other people have been told. It's the whole black costume Spider-Man story and that kind of thing. But but I always like that when the hero doesn't know if what what is reality and what's not it's always fun well then i'm sure you'll enjoy the newest the moon knight stuff yeah i'm sure <laughs> another thing i really liked is how uh, moon knight is sure that he's discovered uh the identity of this rat person and reveals him 
and it's not that guy. <laughs> I thought that was really well done. Yep. And then it turns out he was wearing um, like a Scooby Doo mask. Yeah, he was wearing makeup, and it actually was that guy. But um, just that moment of, I'm sure I've solved the case. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was good. Yeah, it was yeah. a good twist at the end. Yeah, there's a number of great issues I love in this in this volume. That's one of them. Issue 16, Shadows of the Moon. We open with Moon Knight uh, following a thug who is uh, recently out of jail, I believe. And um, he accidentally falls to his death. This leaves Moon Knight with no no clues as to who uh, he was working for. But we'll find out very soon as um, the big man in charge hires a goon named Blacksmith. Blacksmith is somebody who really um, admires Moon Knight and has spent a lot of time studying Moon Knight and working towards being similar to him. He has his trusty hammer as well as forceps, which are um, superheated, which he uses to like burn people to death. How does he keep him hot the entire time? See, they don't actually explain that except to say that he has a tank on his back and I don't understand how the tank actually heats. Like, How does it contain the heat so that his back doesn't hurt? Well, I think you can turn it on and off. Okay, but, but, but the, still, in, in order yeah. to heat heat his forceps up to the point where they're red hot, right? Like, first of all, that takes time, right? And uh, well, apparently not. He's he's worked that out. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but if the tank contains a gas, which I mean, it explodes later on, so you'd think like acetylene or something like that. You need to ignite it in order to, to produce heat, but there's no sense of that. It looks like maybe it's electricity, but you need a chemical reaction to do the the like. Then his his tank would have to be like a giant battery or something but that doesn't seem to be the case either so i don't they never really explain how that works so i have a question is blacksmith supposed to be african-american i don't know because there are a couple of close-ups of his face where the like the bone structure looks like maybe he's supposed to be but he's fairly clearly light-skinned yeah in a lot of this maybe he's um black albino like um uh like uh, like orca in um is it orca in uh luke cage um i don't know i know the black albino character in black lightning in the black lightning tv show what's his name tobias oh right yes yeah oh maybe that's who i'm thinking of sorry yeah i'm thinking black lightning not uh not uh, luke cage okay yes he has a he has like a super villain name from the comics i don't remember what it is though i don't know what it is either we also have a guest star by The Thing in this issue. Yeah, how did you like that? <laughs> <laughs> it was neat. Uh, we have him and Alicia leaving the Baxter building and um, the son of the detective who is investigating uh, the same thing as Moon Knight uh, comes up to him to get some help. His dad died and so he wants Moon Knight to help uh, like solve the case because he knows that there's a connection. Yeah. So he goes up to The Thing and goes... I need a good detective. Can you help me find Moon Knight? <laughs> and the thing's like, what? The thing goes, I'm what standing are you right about? here. <laughs> so he blows him off. And then and then Alicia sort of uh, chides him a little bit. And he goes, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I should probably help contact him. And so he contacts yep. Moon Knight by radio. And that's it. So I think this is a fill-in issue. 
because we have a different writer and a different artist in this one. Um, Jack C. Harris is doing the script and Dennis Cowan is doing the artwork. And none of Moon Knight's supporting cast members or any of his identities are in this issue. It's only Moon Knight. Right. Um, until the backup story. Right, which is a different. So that's another reason why I think this is a, um, a fill-in, because the script was written for a smaller page count. Right. So they pulled it out of their inventory story drawer and uh, didn't have enough pages, so they have to do a fill-in or a backup story as well. So this is the first issue with a backup story, and the backup stories um, for the rest of this volume either fall into the category of Mark Spector Mercenary yep. or The Adventures of Khonshu. Tales. Tales of Khonshu. Tales of Khonshu. Yes. Kind of like Tales of Asgard in the right. Thor, the famous yeah. Thor backups. And it's interesting because... Khonshu is never actually present. I know. It's just the statue yeah. of it's, Khonshu it's that's really present. It's really quite brilliant. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. Now, I also have a clip of Doug Mensch talking about uh, these fill-in or these backup stories. Denny O'Neill called and said, listen, uh, Bill can't do... The, first of all, the Moon Knight book had more pages than Spider-Man or X-Men because it was uh, comic shops only. And there were no ads in it, just house ads. So it was like, I I forget, 25 pages of story instead of 21 or whatever the other books were. Okay. Um, so he, you know, if it takes you a day to do a page, I mean, you know, the month only has so many days. And, right. you know, he was, he just couldn't do it. And... So then he said, you know, I want you to do, uh, you know, uh, I forget what it was, a seven-page backup story. And then that's seven pages that Bill won't have to do in an upcoming issue. And then, you know, write one of the main stories to be seven pages less. So Mark Spector, mercenary, Seekers of the Stone. This is a good one. Mark Spector is hired to steal a box with some ancient art in it, and a woman tries to stop him. And it's just a, a fun story. It's And it turns out that the, the thing in the box is Medusa's head. Yes. <laughs> so, and the... the not, end... not Medusa the Inhuman. Right. Like the actual Greek myth, mythological character Medusa. Yeah. And I, I was kind of confused by the end of the story. Spectre says... Uh, I have something that may have been alive when it was removed from the box. I don't know. I don't want to know. And then it says, and he never found out. He recovered from his injury. What injury? What, what injury? And years later became someone else, which is Moon Knight. Maybe that woman could have told him if he'd asked. But she doesn't know either. Right. <laughs> well, maybe her dad told her, but, but I mean, she was facing away from the box the whole time. She didn't see either. So that whole thing, just the, the ending doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's like maybe it was supposed to be a slightly longer story and then they cut it down to fit the, the backup story. Right. Anyway, let's keep on going here. Yep, number 17. Uh, yeah, Moon Knight 17. So Master Sniper's Legacy. Uh, so an old friend is assassinated. This is the first part of a multi-part story. Right, I think this, this is like th- four parts, I think. This is the first time a story like this has happened in Moon Knight. Uh, so yeah, so someone is assassinated. It's an old friend of Mark Spector's and it happens right in front of him. 
So Moon Knight travels to Switzerland using clues that are given to him by his dead friend. Um, his friend is um, part of the Mossad, the uh, Israeli uh, special intelligence. Right. This is kind of the first of the world series or the the, the, world, the world tour, tour that yeah. I was t- telling you about here. I mean, we've seen him go to many other places already, but this is the real start. This story, each issue takes place in a different part of the world. Right. So... He's tracking down a guy named Nimrod Strange, who is putting together a uh, coalition called the Third World Slayers. Uh-huh. And so that's part of why uh, they go to different countries, because he is trying to bring together a bunch of different nationalities under his control. So he has three female bodyguards, very James Bond here. They're dressed in uh, bathing suits. Yeah. And one's Caucasian, yep. one's Asian, yep. one's African or dark skin of some yep. sort. And, uh, and that represents the, the, the different groups that he has. And we have this um, master sniper character who is very much dead shot. Yes. Yep. He's absolutely. Got a, he's got an eye scope on his, on his head and he has um, arm mounted uh, sniper rifle. So at the beginning of this issue, um, Stephen... Grant is teaching Marlene, you know, some judo moves or karate or something like that. And it seems like they've been doing that for a while. Yeah, but they never make a mention of it until just now. But it's important to this story, so we have to say it at the right. very beginning yep. of this of this uh, issue here. But, you know, she can hold her own. The skiing scene yep. where Marlene just, uh, she's skiing and, and someone's shooting at her. Like, she handles herself uh, really well. Um, there's some cool layout things here. If you go to page 307, really cool panel layouts here. He's doing stacked panels, but the bottom three panels or the bottom four panels are sort of, um, they're, they're at an angle to indicate bullets being shot. The panel layouts strike the same in the same direction as where the sniper's coming from. So I thought that was kind of a cool layout. And then the panels are also red or like a dark pink to show, I think, to, to indicate the shot being fired as well. We also get um, a really interesting sequence with his glider cape. Uh, we mostly just see him gliding down with his cape from the top of a building or right. from his uh, helicopter, and there's not really much to it. But here, he's outside in the mountains where there are lots of cross currents and things, and you see him actually concerned about using his cape. He has to because he's falling, but he knows that it's going to be really tough to control it. And then at one point, um, a crosswind actually pushes his cape closed so that he uh, so that he starts falling again. That never happens to Batman. No. <laughs> <laughs> the backup story in this one is the worship of false idols. Mark Spector uh, finds an idol, gets chased by a dog, and stumbles across a hidden temple. He has a moment where he's not sure if he should take what he has or try to get more or switch it out decides to uh, keep what he has and then the rest of it is just his adventure home yeah <laughs> which is actually really neat it's yes yeah, and it's comical a lot of he has a lot of missteps on the way uh and a great funny ending as well oh like, yes yeah <laughs> is is that idol real um or the ones in the in the temple real uh, or are they fake uh, we don't really know exactly no um yeah not much more to say in that one is no. it's a just a short story but yeah let's move on to the next one here issue 18 the slayers elite 
So continuing from the last story, we start off with we start off with the Third World Army or the Third World uh, Slayers. Um, it's so funny. They describe it as a coalition of extreme leftists and rightists. Yeah, playing the middle against yeah. each other. Um, <laughs> he's hired three um, mercenaries with uh, special skills to go out and kill Mark Spector because Mark has already stopped their plans once. This time, they're in Israel. Mark has visited the widow of his friend from the last issue who was killed. And she and Marlene are kidnapped by this coalition. Do they name any of these guys? Yeah, all three of them have names. Oh, okay. I'd... They are Jujuka, uh, the guy with the guns. The guy with the knives is Karish Beck. And the gigantic guy is Sumaro. Ah, Right. Who can kill a guy in five seconds with his bare hands? Whoa! But that guy isn't Mood Knight. Nope. Yeah, this was uh, um, this story is told in, in kind of several little vignette kind of scenes because Mood Knight has to take out each one of these three guys kind of independently. Um, I like at the end the the quandary that what's the big guy's name? Sumo. Uh, Sumaku. Sumaku has Marlene and the old woman tied up and and. Moon Knight really wants Marlene, him to choose Marlene as a hostage, like as a human shield. Right. Because she can take care of herself. Yeah. And she'll like just kick him in the nuts or something like that. <laughs> and he's like, she'll do it. And, but then he takes the woman, but the woman ends up uh, taking care of the bad guy. I yeah. She that headbutts was him in the yep. chin there. A good move. Yeah. So there, uh, so I noticed that in uh, this issue, there was a spelling mistake. The letterer put in serious instead of series. So see if you can find that. <laughs> Frenchie gets in a car crash in this in this issue. Mm-hmm. I feel like Frenchie gets hurt a lot. Like he's always in car crashes or plane crashes. There's another one coming up in a couple issues as well. And people get shot a lot in this one too. Yeah. Yeah. But they recover pretty quickly. They do. Okay. There's a, another backup in this one. It's called The Many Phases of Moon Knight, written by Alan Zelenitz. And it's kind of just the same as the other recap, except it's better. This is a better (laughs) recap of all of what Moon Knight has been up to since his first appearance. It's a really good kind of layout of of his story here. The other one was more of a a publication uh, review. Yeah. Uh, This is how he published him. This is how he came to be a character. Um, as well as here are some of the changes that we made from the first story to the second story and that kind of thing. Yeah, the first one, that one is a, a Wikipedia entry. This right. one is an entry in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe kind of a story. Yes. Cool. Although it does it does go into like specifics with the issues and yeah. publication history. Yeah. But it uh, does talk more about his, uh, quote, schizo-identity theme being introduced. I don't think schizo is a term that is uh, well loved these days. No, it? it's definitely not. No. Um, it's it. It was, um, it, it was a mislabeling in the first place, but um, also uh, it was used uh, in general for anybody with a mental illness. Yeah, that's that's something to keep in mind. I think I mentioned this in the last one. They do use the word schizo a few times to refer to schizophrenia, um, schizophrenia, um, and um, Mark Spector's changing between quote, personalities, yeah. that's not something that they would do today. 
Okay, next, uh, moving over to 19. This is the one with the cover that I'm not a fan of. <laughs> it's called Assault on Island Strange. Strange being Nimrod Strange, yes. not Doctor Strange oh. or Hugo Strange. Well, I, I, I forgot to mention, in issue 17, page 297, there actually is a place where they call Nimrod Strange Hugo Strange by accident. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this is the third part to our story. The team heads to Lebanon in this issue and finally reaches Strange's stronghold. And this is a daring move. Marlene decides to go deep undercover to become one of his three female bodyguards because I guess they have daily battles and whoever loses the battle is out. Yeah. Well, it's just training sessions is what I was reading into it. But but uh, the weakest one is always dismissed. Not always, but uh, she's been repeatedly repeatedly uh slow yeah um oh yeah yeah that's right and so marlene and that actually becomes a big plot point because yeah she's very jealous of marlene taking her place and starts to kind of stir the pot a little bit yeah you know i i think that if i were um this villain i would probably just if i'm going to dismiss the bodyguard i'd probably just have them killed because he decides instead to basically demote her to just the regular soldier ranks. Yeah. Which is okay because she's really qualified, but at the same time, this jealousy is part of what leads to his undoing later on. Yes, it is. Yeah. But this is the reason why we saw the fighting montage at the beginning of issue 17, because Marlene needs to have those skills, which previously we had no indication that she had any fighting skills at all. And actually the three women here are not the three women from that scene in the last issue. Oh, they're already changed up. They've already changed up. Yeah. And they do say that, um, that those three bodyguards are, are changed fairly regularly. Yeah. We also see Commander Strange take on a new identity as Arsenal. Right. He decides that even though he has an army, even though he's got the three bodyguards who are super qualified, he's going to become his own one-man army. And so he takes the um, wrist guns of Master Sniper and the um, other guns of Jujuba, the knives of Karish Beck, the nunchucks from his current second-in-command, uh, Chulin, and the garot from Sumaro, whom I think they ran out of space. They just call him Sumo. Yeah. Uh, so the, the garot of Sumaro. So all of those things together make him this one-man army. And he's got the stupidest costume. So this was the biggest misstep of this story. This story was really great. It was. Up until we decided we needed an actual like super villain. Like he was a good villain. Oh yeah. I thought he was, uh, he had a lot more personality and charisma, like bad personality and bad charisma up until this point where he decided that he needed to be a super villain. Well, like I was saying, he's got an army. He's got three of like the toughest martial artists um, as his bodyguards. He himself has all sorts of training. Why does he need to be a supervillain? Yeah. Yeah, except for the fact that this is a superhero, supervillain book or whatever. So I think, unfortunately, it had that misstep. But this was still a good issue, a good spy issue. There's a lot of great espionage here. I was kind of disturbed at the fact that Nimrod, I know he's a villain, but he like forces himself on 
his three women bodyguards right. like every night. Yeah. And that is a little, um, that's, that's pretty disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mar- and Marlene, I don't know if Marlene knew that getting into this thing. No, I don't think so. But she goes along with it, which is terrible uh, because she's undercover and doesn't want to blow her cover. Yeah. And that gives uh, Moon Knight extra motivation. Yeah. So at the end of this issue, we find out that their plan has many branches, but one of them is to target Manhattan. There are other countries who are sort of falling in line, but America isn't. And so in order to get America to sort of uh, follow what their commands or demands are, they're going to blow up Manhattan. And that leads us directly into the next issue here, number 20, called Cut Adrift Off the Coast of America. So he's orchestrated things so that there are boats dumping oil at every major exit out of Manhattan. So he's going to set them all on fire and set fire to all of the major exits from Manhattan. And the thing is, if you, and I don't know the chemical um, accuracy of this, but if you drain the oil from the bottom of the boat, then the vapors will fill the top of the boat, first of all, creating more pressure, uh, but second of all, just creating a giant uh, gas, bomb. gas ball. Yeah. So that's the idea there is instead of like emptying them from the top like you might normally, so it's vented, going to empty them to a certain point at the bottom, which is going to put oil in the ocean to light on fire, but also create an extra explosion. But how do you empty liquid out of a bottom of a boat without it, like, the water would come in? Well, you could either, oh yeah, right. Uh, well, these were... Um, You'd have to pump it out, above, I guess. They're above, no, the, the, the oh, outlets the, were above the water. Yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, 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 that's right. They siphon it out, I guess. So on the cover of this of this issue is a great shot of this moon night on fire with the city. The city is ablaze. Lots of detail. It's really great. But there's this huge <laughs> bulletin board on the side that says, post no bills. And then Bill has signed his name on it. <laughs> I, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. There's also right in the middle, there's a poster on the side of a building that says, bank at the top. And that's just very strange. Yeah, I don't know what that means. They kind of distract from the whole uh, detail of this. Yeah, uh, so this is there's no backup in this issue, and there's no backup in the last issue. So these are full 32-page stories, and there's a lot of story. Oh, yes. Um, there's, there's so much going on here. Arsenal plans to set these fires to block off and hold the city hostage. And um, Moon Knight basically has to figure out how to stop Arsenal before all of the these tankers explode. At the same time, the American anti-terrorist um, group, that's pretty much just what they're called, um, is being filled in by Streglov, who is uh, the Israeli contact. Yeah, who's been tagging along with Moon Knight this entire time. Yep. And he goes, uh, Streglov goes, trust me, guys, Moon Knight's going to take care of this. He's going to make it so that we can uh, catch them all and nothing's going to go wrong. And the anti-terrorist group is like, no, we've got to rush in and take them all out uh, right now. And he so keep, it's a race against time. Right. And he keeps going, um, no, no, but if you do that, then they're going to blow everything up. And so, yeah, it, Moon Knight has to do it before uh, before the anti-terrorist group gets too uh, antsy. Yeah, but this was a good a good conclusion to the story. He actually doesn't use his arsenal stuff 
that much <laughs> no, at all. He doesn't. For all the bi- the 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 uh, detail that they put into emphasizing that before, he doesn't use it. One thing that I did like was that when he he captures Moon Knight and puts him in this villain death trap. Yes. And then he actually unmasks Moon Knight. So many times the villain is like, yeah. I'm just going to leave you. I'm not going to find out who you are. Um, and I'm just going to leave you in the death trap. But he actually does. He finds out that he's Mark Spector and is surprised by it. Uh, at the very end here. But then he, but oh. then he dies. So it's okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's the scene where Mark is trying to get out of that death trap and he's throwing his little darts Yes, and like trying yep. to catch them, he's yeah. fl- Pop- popping them he's off, popping of off his the belt, belt and trying to catch it as it falls, and he's missing. And then the last time, the very last dart he has, there's this great panel spread, spread of panels, where you, it's like a slow motion. Yeah, uh, the things falling, 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 and yes, he catches it in the end. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's a. It's neat to be able to portray uh, time through a series of panels like that. Right. There's one part at the beginning of this where um, Moon Knight emerges from the water to board one of the vessels, and they have started pumping the oil. Yeah. So he climbs up to the middle of the, the, the boat on the side and uses an acetylene torch to burn a hole in the side of the, the ship. Yikes. <laughs> you, yet he's covered in oil from the water, plus and he, the vapors knows, on the he inside. knows the vapors are on the inside. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, that was a bad mistake. Yeah. Um, I like how Marlene and Moon Knight actually have to team up to take them down here. So they go through the effort of explaining that Marlene has these great martial arts skills. Yeah. And they kind of show it in the last one, uh, the last couple issues. But here they really do because she goes, Moon Knight, take care of Arsenal slash Nimrod. I'm going to take these other two. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Takes out two of the top assassins. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... And it's a really good fight sequence. Because they're bikini clad. Well, sure. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At the very end of this issue, Moon Knight finally takes down Nimrod. And he's just so fed up. Like, this has been a long battle. He's he's angry because he killed a good friend of his. And what does he say? Defiled? Soiled. Did he say soiled? Soiled. Soiled my woman. (laughs) And then, yeah, he spits on him. And right after that... Marlene sees him do that, and he says, Marlene, that last gesture, it was stupid. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. I like that aspect of Moon Knight. Yeah. That he's really, really mad at him, but not disrespectful at the same time, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. Kinda, there, yeah. There's definitely a, a too far. And then we have the epilogue to end off this story, where Mark Spector sends a telegram or a cable to his friend's widow that just says, Ben's work is finished. Yeah, it was a good ending. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey. Issue 21. This has a great cover. This is called The Master of Night Earth. And we jump in right in the middle of the story. Moon Knight is fighting a bunch of uh, rebels or something. And he is joined by Brother Voodoo. They are in Haiti. And they uh, they venture through Haiti in order to track down two different goals. Moon Knight is trying to follow a bunch of uh, terrorists and Brother Voodoo is trying to stop Grand, I believe it would be Grand Bois because it would, it's uh, it's French. Yeah. Grand Bois, who's the leader of this uh, Voodoo uh, group. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Moon Knight's been hired to stop a coup in the government in Haiti. And it's we haven't seen this side of, of Moon Knight before, of being kind of the mercenary for hire. He kind of just does his own thing usually. Mm-hmm. But uh, Brother Voodoo's like, you, how, do you, how much do you really know about the guy that's hired you? And there's this whole mystery, and both of their stories end up intersecting. Yeah. Which, is, which is the great mercenary question. Yeah. And, and really, if you're a mercenary, the answer is, I don't care. Right, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but, Do but they this have is, the money? That's right. fine. And this is where um, Moon Knight starts to realize maybe there's a difference between who he was and who he is now. It's just weird because it's kind of out of the blue that he's still a mercenary. Right. And that Moon Knight's the mercenary. Like, it's not Mark Spector right. that's yeah. been hired. It's Moon Knight that's been hired. So I found that kind of weird. Yeah, this this one was not my favorite issue. It was it was just kind of weird. I, I, however, I really do like the zombies that have the snakes coming out of their <laughs> yeah, eyes. <right>? Zombie snakes. <laughs> zombie snakes. The the zombie the zombie people that zombie have people zombie have snakes the, coming out of their eyes. <laughs> riding zombie alligators. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, but otherwise, it was kind of a, just a hokey issue. And this is one of the problems I have here is so far in this book, like, a, like we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, there's the supernatural elements, but they're either left vague are they supernatural or they are proven that it's actually not supernatural it's just like the 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 haunted house was the mom that was believed to be dead but she right. wasn't really dead but in this one they're straight up zombies and it's brother voodoo so I, you know that it's actual supernatural yeah and it just seems so out of place because it's it goes further than what we usually expect from moon knight um and i don't know that i like it yeah it, it's different so the the grand plot is that this guy, the Grand Bois, who actually ends up being everybody in the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. He is the leader of the terrorists. He is the government guy who uh, who hired Moon Knight, and he is Grand Bois. His grand plan is to perform a ceremony such that he will have total control over the dead. But he doesn't get away with it. Frenchie comes in with his machine guns right at the end to uh, destroy the giant talisman that was going to help give him the powers. Yeah. The the part of this issue that I liked the best was actually the backup story. Oh, yeah. This was a good backup story. Yeah. Murder by Moonlight. It It's a tale of Khonshu. And <laughs> I love it. This, this, this thief stumbles into an art gallery, decides he's going to steal something there. And, but then he hears the footsteps of a security guy. Um, he's in the the ancient Egypt exhibition and there's the statue of Khonshu staring at him. He gets a little scared and um, he hides in a sarcophagus and gets locked in there and turns into a mummy. (laughs) (laughs) And well, and this is the, um, he gets locked in and this is the example of, is it really supernatural or not? Because he goes, uh, he presses against the coffin's cover, doesn't budge. Perhaps it's the corner of his coat that wedged the cover tight. Perhaps it's the judgment of the moon god. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Very cool. And that's what I like. I like yeah. that. But the but it's also Kanchu Kanchu opened the sarcophagus. Mm-hmm. Because it's supposed to be sealed. They they make a point earlier in the story saying that there's these scientists who have developed a new type of X-ray so they can examine the mummies without opening the sarcophagus and disturbing their their ritual of the dead right so why is this one open so why is this one open and so yeah when they see the x-ray there's a guy in there who's holding a gun which can't happen if this guy <laughs> yeah. was actually this sarcophagus was actually from ancient egypt but Khonshu knows yeah 
Very cool. Yeah. Anyway, we got to keep on going here uh, to issue number 22. This one's called The Dream Demon. I just want to make a comment about the cover here really quickly. Um, We have Moon Knight, and uh, he's in front of three mirrors, and out of each of the mirrors is uh, emerging one of his personalities. And again, this is something that's been brought up in the new Moon Knight comics. I mentioned earlier where he's having these uh, visions and he's on the moon. And one of the things that happens during this vision on the moon is that there are these mirrors that reflect his different personalities. And then the personalities emerge from those mirrors. And all of them, all four of them have like a discussion. Very cool. Yeah, I I like that. The only thing about this cover is that Stephen Grant wouldn't be violent. He doesn't do that type of thing. Right. I could see Jake Lockley with a baseball bat. Yes. Um, But he's got, but Stephen Grant has this like, deformed nail sticking out of it club. That's even worse. Yeah. Like that's like, <laughs> if anything, Stephen Grant would have like maybe a small handgun or something like right. that. Yeah. But not a, not a nail club. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is the issue. Um, the, this is a two-parter and it's, it's definitely a highlight of this volume. It's a great way to end this book. And Bill Sienkiewicz's art goes into some really bizarre places here. Yeah. He really steps it up. And this is what Bill is known for. This is where he really comes into his own. And this is what you see in the New Mutants. Oh, yeah. Um, So the title of this one is The Dream Demon. And again, we have uh, Marlene's brother, Peter. And he's being haunted by these night terrors of Morpheus coming after him. Understandable, because the the other story was the revenge story. Like, Morpheus was after Peter for turning right. him into what he is. So right, so he's clearly sense. struggling with this. There's a little bit of P- PTSD over the situation. So, Moon Knight checks on Morpheus, but Morpheus is still all drugged up. And um, when he checks on him, he's attacked by a mysterious black figure with midnight man yeah no uh with with like some dark powers like maybe ebon energies but it's not morpheus yep morpheus is still drugged up sedated in the hospital i find it interesting that we have these um we're introduced to these uh custodians at the hospital yeah (laughs) the the old guy and the new and then the new kid that's just been hired they don't really play much of a part at all Except to explain that they've changed up his meds. Yes. Well, and to um, to show when Morpheus comes up out and they're, like, they're the first pe- two people that die. Right. So they, like, he hasn't changed. He's still up to his old ways. All, a bunch of different characters are plagued with nightmares that that Morpheus can control. And there's a every time there's a, a dream sequence, Bill makes rough edges to his panels. Like his panels are all surrounded by these kind of scrappy lines. They also have a real green filter to them. Yeah. And so there's one part where Moon Knight is battling this dark figure on a roof and he has to fight against against the dreams. So there's the, the part where he's like battling a snake. Mm-hmm. And then the next page he snaps out of it and he's in the sewer. And then the bottom panel, two of the, the lines of the panel are um, are straight and then two of the, the panels, two of the lines of the panels are jagged to show that he's mm. fighting against the dream. Like he could slip oh. into the dream, but he's not going to slip into and the it's, dream. And it's got the green background, but it's not a green shading on everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
I didn't notice that. Yeah, and that happens a couple of times through here um, to show that that people are fighting against the dreams. There's a, a part um, on page 447 where. He goes where where Lockley goes to the diner and says, "Hey Gina, how's the kids?" And she says, "Angry about Atlanta." And so I looked at what happened in Atlanta in 1982 that might be the cause for this. Uh, this issue is dated August, so it was probably written, you know, January, December, something like that. Maybe, yeah, yeah, but definitely before that. So I mean, maybe it's because they missed the U2 or AC/DC concert that was in Atlanta. <laughs> maybe it's because of the huge snowstorm. Maybe it's because the Falcons were out of the playoffs or the Hawks were out of the playoffs or something like that. But probably it's because um, the in January of 1982 yeah. is where we are now. Uh-huh. Um, they had the Atlanta child murders trial. Um, there were 28 black youths who were killed over a, a period of time. And the uh, in January, the trial against the, the person charged or person uh, arrested uh, began. And right at the beginning of that trial, there was some fiber evidence that was thrown out. Oh. And so that's, I, I would think that would be what they're referencing. Um, now, the trial concluded in February and he was convicted. Um but my guess would be that this was written around January, around when that happened. Hmm. Okay. Otherwise, I can't really see what else they'd be angry about. Yeah, because if that's a reference to a previous issue, like they haven't been to Georgia. No. So the only part of this issue that I didn't really like was the very last page of this story where they find out that, um, you know, Morpheus has been mind-controlling Peter. Right. And then Morpheus has a lot of exposition to tell us how his new powers have evolved. Right. And it didn't, it just seemed to be um, a little out of place and forced. Like I'd rather them write it into the story rather than him just have a little narration. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad that they explained what's happening because I never would have figured it out. But then in the next issue, they also have Peter just magically come up with the exact same reasoning. It's like, oh, it's probably this. So what they didn't need to have Morpheus saying it on this page. Right. If Peter's going to tell us in the next issue, that would have been great to leave it on a cliffhanger. Like, how did this happen? Find out next time. Yeah. Um, And I'm okay with Peter because he's got an understanding of the drugs or whatever. Or even just because he's affected. But the fact is that Peter doesn't know why he, like, he doesn't actually know it. Right. He says... Like, he thinks this is what it is, or perhaps... And that would be fine, too, if then later on in the issue, they can confirm that for sure. Right. Yeah. So anyway, there is a backup story in this one, Moon over Alamine. And this is a tale of Khonshu as well. I like this story, too. It takes place in World War II. Yeah, this was a good one. Specifically, the the Battle of El Alamein in Egypt took place during October 23rd and November 11th in 1942. And so this story is this battle. And this is a very important battle in World War II history. Which is weird because, I mean, I don't remember learning about it. You, you, you focus on the things around Europe, but you don't really look at what happened in like Northern Africa. Yeah. But this is the first time that the German, like it's, it, this was the battle that kind of stopped the, the spread of Germany over multiple countries and they were able to start pushing back. It was a turning point, a linchpin 
in World War II. And this story tells us that Khonshu is the reason why the battle, that World War II turned around and that it, the Allies eventually won. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense because it's in Egypt. Yeah. I like the way that this story is told through a series of letters with this army guy to his wife back home and they're tra- swapping back and forth through a, it, this is just a one, two, three, four, five. This is just a six page story, but it's uh, it's, it's great. It's just a nice short, short story. Yeah. I like how they, they find Khonshu, the statue of Khonshu in Egypt. Uh, this is where it would be before the art gallery and before, um, you know, Marlene's family goes and finds it on the archaeological dig. How they find him and go, well, I sure hope he's on our side. And they go, oh, well, we should probably take some of this stuff. It's like, hey, lay off because the Nazis are stealing national treasures from the places that they invade. We're not like them. Yes, and that's how Khonshu decides that he's going to help these guys in the battle. So I think that's really cool. (laughs) I like it. Moving on to issue 23, the last one. This is called Perchance to Dream, which is also, by the way, the title of a Batman the Animated Series episode. A good one, too. Yeah. (laughs) So another connection between Moon Knight and Batman. The first page and the cover are very well done, and they've got this, like, splatter ink painting uh, shadowing on it. The old uh, toothbrush. Yeah. Toothbrush flicking trick. Yeah, really neat. So we have Morpheus being very triumphant. He has control of uh, Peter, um, and he's going to be using Peter and his a- and uh, Moon Knight's other allies to defeat Moon Knight and take over the world or something. We see Bill do a lot of stuff here that we haven't seen him do yet. He's even more Bill than he has been in these pre- previous issues. Yeah. We get a couple of double-page spreads which we haven't seen him do yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. So just like the panels go across the top. Yeah. Two pages, yeah. Exactly. Uh, there's the scene. It's the one, two, three, four. It's the fourth page with uh, the, the shot of the cabin, which is a very, very nice picture of mm-hmm. just a rustic, snowy kind of cavern. A lot of white negative space used very effectively. Yeah. Um, and they didn't even place the, the word balloons down there to spoil it. Yeah. And other things like if you go to page... 483. Yep, 483. Yeah. Whoops, with the... I was going to mention that. Yeah, with the, the, the sound effect of, of the explosion acting as the explosion. I right. think that is just brilliant. It's centered actually on the generator. And again, here's the, um, the several panels giving the elapsing time. And also, the elapsing time also showing though the the direction of the explosion going right. in multiple directions. Yeah. So it's it serves multiple purposes. It's really really well done. Then the best thing I think um, are the the last two pages in this, where uh, you see um, the end where a main character. I don't know if we're going to spoil this or not. We should. <laughs> um, where Peter dies. Yeah. And all we see is those characters tucked in the top corner yeah. and the focus is on this flower. And then the next page is Marlene Sad in black and white. Yeah. Like really, really, really striking. Very, very interesting choices. Very well done. Something you would never see in any other book at this time. Like he was a, a trailblazer in terms of the thing, the way he was telling yeah. stories. And again, with um, page 500 with uh, the characters all tucked in the corner, 
They also kept all the speech bubbles up there again to give the white negative space, leave the snow untouched. Yeah, exactly. It was. It's really, really well done. No wonder he signed his name on that page. It's a work of art. Yeah. But yeah, this um, yeah. this whole conclusion of the story was great. I thought that it was uh, um, it was action packed the entire issue. Yeah. Um, a lot of times uh, we don't get a whole lot of action, so it's nice to see one whole issue that's just wall to wall, just chaos. It, it's yeah. really and really everybody's great. everybody's involved. Frenchie and um, and Marlene, yeah, uh, and Moon Knight and Peter. And Morpheus is a is a threat. Like he's a scary guy. Yeah, and they do a really good job of and conveying Moon, that. Moon Knight here. almost drowns. Yeah, it's very well done. Yeah, a great way to end this volume. I thought it was. Uh, I, I, some of these stories were so so. A lot of them were great, but they ended on such a high note. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see if they can keep this uh, going through the third volume. Yeah. Um, the at the very beginning of this issue, there is a quote from Bertrand Russell. Oh yeah, there's one at the end of the last issue too. Yeah. And uh, Bertrand Russell was a very, very well-known logistician and mathematician and, I guess, philosopher. Mm -hmm. Um, His main goal in life was to try and um, create a system of logic that could explain some of the unexplainable parts of math. Yeah, I am... Not able to keep up with all that stuff with logics and mathematicians and all, <laughs> mathematics and yeah. and the high level that that Bertrand Russell is. Oh man! But but there is a fantastic graphic novel. Yes. Called Logic Comics. Yes. That's all about the life of uh, Russell Russell Bertrand or Bertrand, Bertrand Russell of Bertrand Russell, yeah. um, which. Even a simpleton like myself can understand <laughs> the way they explain things. It's, it's, it's very well done. Fantastic. So the outcome of that was that he wrote um, a 500-page paper explaining, using his logic that he developed, the logical language that he developed, explaining how it is that one plus one equals two. <laughs> oh, man. And f- my understanding is that very few people have read it. Okay. And of those people, very few people understand it. Oh, man. <laughs> so how do you know if it's right then? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, wow. he uh, he's actually very important because it was the people that came after them that after him that took that idea of a logical, symbolic lo- logic language and came up with the kinds of things that we use now in mathematics and, and especially in computer science, in programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that does it for our issue. That was a wild ride. This is a this episode went a little long, so we should probably sign off now. But uh, overall, great volume. I really enjoyed another romp through Moon Knight, even more than volume one. Yeah, me too. This was, um, uh, like we said at the beginning, he very much is uh, sort of figuring out who he is, and he's uh, solidly in a in a particular place now. Yeah, and I think that moving into the third volume, Hopefully, we'll see more of that consistency. I know it doesn't last because one by one, both Doug Mensch and Bill Sienkiewicz leave the title. But uh, we should get a good run for this. Uh, this is all new material for me. I haven't read this before. Neither have I. Yeah. So this is very exciting. But anyway, that's for us. Next time you're on the show, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Maybe some Fantastic Four? Yeah, maybe. It's that about be- time to do that again. Yeah, we should. Um, maybe we'll continue the Walt Simonson run and talk about the yeah. new Fantastic Four. Oh, I love the new Fantastic okay, Four. Cool. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Hey, we'll see you everybody next time. <laughs>